Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, and welcome to the Gong Show. My name's Steph Postuma. I'll be joined by Wollongong chefs Andy Burns and Simon Evans to talk about issues that relate to food and hospitality, with insights from guests, including chefs, business owners, producers, policymakers, and experts. This week's a special episode of The Gong Show. On the 24th of November 2018, we took part in the Wollongong Writers Festival and did a live podcast about their theme, What Feeds You? So in this podcast, we talk about what feeds chefs in terms of creativity and inspiration. And we also talk about what nourishes chefs in terms of things that help with pushing forward in a challenging industry. The sound on this one isn't the best because we did it to a live audience. But we really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a new thing for us, and we really, really enjoyed being part of the Wollongong Writers Festival this year. And thank you to Linda and the whole team that made it possible. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you like this episode. Let's get into it. Please join me in warmly welcome Stefan Postuma, Simon Evans, and Andy Burns. Thank you, Linda. Can you all hear us? Yeah. Alright, yeah, cool. cool. Uh, welcome. This is the first time we've done a live podcast. We'll talk about the gong show in a second, but we'd also like to acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of the Illawarra and pay respect to elders past, present and the future. So, uh, if you don't know what The Gong Show is, it's a podcast that we started together. Um, we'll introduce ourselves in a sec, but it's essentially we sort of work in food. I'm a publisher, I make cookbooks, and these guys are both chefs and business owners here in Wollongong. And we wanted to, we started it originally as a means of communicating ideas and thoughts around the food industry and potentially sort of challenges that face the hospitality industry and then also just diving into aspects of aspects of the food and hospitality industry that might not be discussed on a public level as much. Um, a lot of food media is very short form and, and catchy. Uh, celebrity chefs are a big thing. Uh, publications make their money off promoting large chefs uh, that have a large profile and there's a lot of chefs and business owners out there who work really, really hard with such passion and creativity and they don't necessarily have a platform to communicate their ideas. So that is kind of the reason why we started this podcast. Uh, so just to introduce ourselves, my name is Stefan Postuma and I run Quicksand Food and Quicksand Publishing. 
and we make regional cookbooks. So I brought a couple of them, of them along. This one is the most recent one that we did here in Wollongong. It's the uh, Illawarra Cookbook, and what we do is we showcase regional food culture by uh, collating recipes from sort of the best chefs around different regions of New South Wales, and we also profile different producers, and we put them together in nice pretty books that people can cook from. Um, and, I mean, we do a bunch of other stuff, but let's just focus on publishing for today, as it is a writer's festival. Uh, Simon, want to introduce yourself? I'm Simon Evans. Uh, I'm a restaurant in Wollongong. Um, we have uh, a big focus on local and native foods. Uh, we're right in the centre of town on Keir Street. Um, Andy Byrne from Baby Face Kitchen and Two Smoking Barrels and Two Smoking Barrels Food Truck. And uh, I normally work at Baby Face Kitchen and I'm just down the road from Simon on Keir Street as well. Yeah, and I got to know both of these guys through publishing this book. It's when we, um, when we first met. And uh, I was kind of doing interviews with chefs and things like that. I've got a degree in journalism. I also do a radio show here in Wollongong. And these guys kind of came to me one day and said, why don't we do a podcast and keep talking about these things because these are sort of important issues to discuss and stuff. So, and that, that's where we're at. And I guess that's why we're here today. So, I mean, how, did, how do you guys feel about being artists for the day? You get to talk about inspiration and creativity. So this is a really unique platform for chefs. Chefs don't get the opportunity to do that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of questioning our, uh, I guess, legitimacy in the, yeah, in the area. Yeah, syndrome going on. Chefs, chefs get a lot to think of artists quite often, and most of the time it doesn't really feel like that when you're working day in, day out in the kitchen. It's a bit more of a trade, so um, I'm uneasy. Well, it is a trade. Artist too, but we'll go with it. Okay, well, so today, I mean, the, the theme of this year's festival, and I've got to thank Linda and everyone that was involved in putting this festival together because they're such important important things for creativity in the community and especially with what feeds you this idea of sort of what feeds and nourishes people fostering creativity and artists in a small place like the Illawarra is so important so thank you um the way we're going to structure what we're doing today I guess we're just going to talk about we're going to keep it really simple um we're going to talk about what feeds you and focus on creativity and inspiration and there's a lot of a lot of different things that that can sort of fall into when it comes to food and hospitality. And then we'll talk a bit about what nourishes you and how chefs, business owners, uh, publishers. I've got to not forget to talk a bit about making books as well, guys. We always, the podcast is about food and we rarely actually talk about publishing and making books. But um, yeah, about what nourishes you guys and uh, you know what keeps that creativity flowing in the support networks that you have and how that might be different to um, to the communities and the support that you, you would find as, as, a, as another a different type of artist. So let's start with what feeds you. So creativity, I guess, is um, found in all aspects of hospitality and it especially is, I mean, at the very base level, and you guys both have experience with this, you need to, when you, when you open a restaurant, you need to develop a concept that's going to not only work for you and feed you, but it's also going to quite literally feed the feed feed the public, and also resonate with them to a level where they'll keep returning and you'll have a successful business. So, when it comes to beginning a restaurant, I'll start with you, Simon. What what inspired like what inspired you? You can tell us a bit, a bit of the story about how you guys started with Kavo, but sort of what inspired you and how do you go about developing a concept and what you want to do? 
So I think um, with us, especially it was myself and his part Tom, we, we've been in chefs for a while. We've worked around, and you kind of the ambition is for most chefs is to own a restaurant. That's kind of the only ambition you can really have as a, as a chef. Some of the other places to go. Um, so you kind of you, you spend years thinking about what you want to do, the food you like to cook, ingredients you want to use, the way you want the restaurant to look, restaurants you've been to you like, um, the chefs you look up to, things like that. So you kind of have also a, a set plan when you go into it, what you should do. And then after that, it's kind of read the market. So that, that kind of, that's the, the creative kind of happy, that's the still with one side. Then the, the realism of it is you also have to run a business. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the hobby that kind of does, does crush your creativity in that sense of it. But it kind of makes you be creative in different ways. So you've got to, you've got to be creative within the market that you're working in um, and, and work around those parameters. Um, so it kind of, there's, there's so many levels to creativity and we were discussing this the day. It's, it's so tiered. I think the one, the one that people look at to start with is what, what's on the plate, the dish you're doing, and how you're being creative in that. But there's so many more areas to it, from, from your restaurant design to, to actually trying to make money in a creative way is, is, is kind of key as well. Andy, developing a restaurant? Well, as Simon said, there's a whole bunch to it. I guess we started with an empty shell um, at our restaurant, Babyface, and we started with the idea of um, the way we like to come together and eat, which was like communally. Uh, so all our dishes are designed to share. So our, yeah, it started there for us, but so much more comes into it. I mean, if you had an endless uh, cash stream, it'd probably really help. And you could buy all the produce you wanted and all, all the lovely wine you wanted and design the place exactly how you want it. So there are definitely limiting factors. Would that make you less creative though? Sorry? Do you reckon that make you less creative? Oh, maybe. Well, as Simon said, like, you have to become more creative in the sense that you've got to use every single bit of the produce you buy, etc., etc. And it makes you think very hard. And sometimes when you're running a business, you don't have an endless cash stream. And you have to uh, really think about what products you're buying and how you're going to use them and keeping your customers as interested as you'd like as well. Yeah, the expectation. You kind, of, you kind of want to have everything. So you're like, oh, like this ingredient, that ingredient, that wine. But I think sometimes like the best things come from when you're forced to do something. Definitely. Like forced yeah. creativity. You're yeah. like, this is all I have. Or this this little off cut, or this is piece, what can I do with that? Yeah. I think that's where a lot of, a lot of creativity and dishes actually come from. Or it could be a mistake. Like we were talking, yeah, yeah, we were talking about the other day, you can have an idea in your head of like, oh, I really want to get this, and then we're going to do this with it. And we're going to bring it all together in this perfect formation on the plate. And it gets to the plate and you kind of think to yourself, wow, that looks really shit. <laughs> Pretty much it. <laughs> but Time there, to get creative. There could be a couple of components from it that worked really well. Um, and you might think, you know, after a couple of years in a restaurant, you develop yourself a pretty nice pantry. Um, we've got a lot of things that take a year to um, produce, up to a year, mesos, etc. So you might pull one of them out, add it to a component of that, change it, and then three plates later, it goes on the menu. Yeah, I think so there's different ways of getting there. I think most people think of creativity as like a spark or like kind of that yeah. like that eureka moment where it's like ah, oh, perfect dish. But it's not. It's not really like that. <laughs> it's definitely not like that. Everything's on the floor. You were telling me Simon that, that there's certain dishes. I mean, you you would run a seasonal menu, like change a menu, you know, generally sort of like four times a year. But it, it's like in in the last two weeks of the season that you feel like you've perfected a certain dish on the menu because you've done it then that many times and honed it 
and sharpened it to a point where it gets to the end of the season and it's on there for two weeks and you're like, this is exactly where I want this dish to be and then it comes off the mentor and change it, yeah. <laughs> or there's that like limbo period, like because of the way the um, weather's been, yeah. the season's changed differently this year. So the produce, some of the produce stayed longer, some of it wasn't coming through when we usually want it to. So you've got this idea in your head of, I'm gonna use this at this time. And it's going to be great because I've thinking, been thinking about this since last year, what we can do with this. And then it's not ready. So yeah. you've got to hold on to the dishes, maybe slightly change them. Because again, your customers need to be interested. Our regulars need to stay interested. Yeah, exactly. Like, Steph is getting out is that the dish isn't perfect the first time you do it. The restaurant concept or design isn't perfect the first time you do it. It's constant evolution, constant change, which makes it look perfect if you come in at the right time and <laughs> the dish has been perfected. What, what do you think, and you touched on it just before, I think in, I mean, call, like, if we call you guys artists, and me, I guess, um, we're all running businesses very, it's very apparent that it's, it's a business and it's also a creative outlet. Whereas with other art forms, sometimes the business aspect of it might not be talked about as much or come into it as much as a a restaurant because a restaurant is so obviously a small business but I think that yourselves me definitely and other artists out there always face this challenge of wanting to be as creative as you possibly can be um, do exactly what you want to do but also making it fit the needs of the market so you can support yourself so do you see that like you were saying just before Simon that that is kind of one of these parameters that's set for you and you have to find creative ways of addressing that. Um, is that is that a challenge that you sort of embrace? Do you wish you had a bit more sort of financial freedom essentially to be able to pursue creativity in other ways? Yeah, I think a lot of times it's, it's, it's the, the market which dictates what you can do. Like, so I guess same as if you're writing your, your, your novel you're passionate about or if you're writing articles for something to, to pay the bills, it's going to equate to that. Um, so it depends on what you can do in, in your market. It depends on what customers are going to want to come in and eat, really. Um, like I know we could put some pretty out there products and, and meats on, but if no one wants to actually come in and try them, then what's the point? Um, probably nothing worse than the lonely artist in a, in a quiet restaurant with these amazing dishes and no one eating it. I mean, the whole point in this is to get people in to have dinner um, and enjoy themselves. So I think you can, again, too much into chefs being artists. I think you can lead to them putting... You know, chefs being broke? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Popular idea that the broke artist <laughs> will cook for money. <laughs> um, I'm going to bring it bring it to what I do a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I, I like in publishing cookbooks, these books... You, we, we definitely have to work within the parameters of a business model and, and addressing a market as well and, and find find ways to be able to sort of do it creatively within that. So with this publication, for example, the Illawarra Cookbook, we feature something like 50 different businesses around the Illawarra. One of the hard things for us is that we could feature 150 different farms, businesses, producers, anyone that has anything to do with food in the Illawarra. However, that means that the book would then be, instead of 200 and something pages, 220 pages or so, it would be 500 pages. And 
that means if you were going to make a book that's 500 pages, the book would then have to sell for $80 and people would purchase it. So we have a bunch of those sorts of parameters, I guess, that we have to follow in order to make a book that has market appeal. It, it needs to sort of tick a lot of boxes. The book in the publishing industry is extremely, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition and we compete with the likes of Jamie Oliver and um, Gordon Ramsay, yeah. you know, uh, all these sorts of people because our books sit next to those books on the shelves in bookstores and we need to find ways of making our books be picked up by the public. And one way which seems to work for us is the idea of having people connect to our books on a personal level in the sense that they know the people that are involved, like you guys, because um, there's photos of you guys in the book. Not great ones, but <laughs> they're all right. Um, you know, the food that they might have eaten at your places, the beaches that they might walk on, the the dairy in Kiama Pines Dairy, for example, like hear the story about them, and that's the milk that you might buy from your local grocer. I think that's like that. in your books is that they show the, the local regions. It's not just restaurants and, and, and cafes and bars. It's producers and you know, people at markets, things like that. So it, it's got that... It's kind of every level in that market. If you just had a book full of restaurant recipes, it's not really accessible. Exactly. Like, I mean, you can make a recipe book and, and then you can make something that people, you know, really, really want to pick up. Um, and I guess the other, the, other, the other challenge that I find sort of creatively that we... It's, it takes a long time during the development stages of making a cookbook is accurately representing the culture and aesthetic of food within a region because every place is different. So I've done books in Canberra, the Southern Highlands, here in the Illawarra and the South Coast, which kind of we've called basically sort of Kayama all the way down to Eden. And each of these regions have a very different aesthetic they've got a different food community they've got obviously you know different restaurants those sorts of things involved different climates um different histories and it's important it's very important for us to to do justice to all those things when it comes to the production and presentation of the book so what we do is we sort of start re like we research history um and take inspiration from the landscapes for example this book is split into three chapters which aesthetically represent the, the, the mountains, the land and, and the sea, these different features of the Illawarra landscape. And we kind of find that if we really try to do justice, do both aesthetic justice and, and sort of pay homage to the culture and history of a place in those ways, we can make a product that, does, that, that accurately represents a region and, then, and, and kind of looks good and people want to buy it. So is that, is that where you find the most creativity in producing a book in, in those little, it's, it's, little it's a really fun it's a, it's a really fun period of, of publishing of the, of the publication because I work closely with my designer um, and it's a really kind of cool iterative process about like what do you think of this what do you think of that like for example the font that's used on the front of this cookbook for the uh, for the title is an old one that uh, she found that was used in steel manufacturing where they'd stamp steel with like steel with their marks using this big bold font because you can't use a you know you can't use times new roman with a with a, a a crazy sort of cast iron stamp to stamp a big beam or something like that so um, so yeah you should tell people that. railroad gothic yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that what Microsoft would? No. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> fancy one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's, it's those sorts of things like that, those sorts of things that even though it's not, uh, it's not obvious and you wouldn't know it unless I told you about it, but it kind of all sort of works together to make something that represents the Illawarra. And it did work really well. I think it's a great representation. Thanks, mate. Yeah, okay. You work so closely, like Steph works so closely with all of us in each section of that book to, I guess, get our creativity to come across on the pages through the photos and the conversations we have. I didn't even, I didn't know Steph before that book at all and now we're, we do this together, we're quite good friends. Like that's how closely he works with everyone. I guess to get his vision out of his head onto the pages and it must be pretty challenging. It is really fucking challenging. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Um, creativity in, in, in making a ditch. I mean, you guys have to change your menu uh, all the time and there's a, a world out there of options for you when, in terms of ingredients, in in terms of inspiration, all these sorts of things. So when you have to, when you when you want to make a new dish, sign must start with you again. How do you like? Where do you start? You're a blank plate. Um, I mean, for us, we start with the what, what we can get. We try and let uh, the local farmers and the, the weather and the season dictate the menu. Otherwise, you start with like infinite possibilities because especially in Australia where you can get most ingredients most times a year, maybe not even from Australia, um, you, got, you kind of need, we need something to start us off. So whether it's our local farmers are growing some fennel or, or if this fish is coming this season or we've just found this new thing we can get, it's, it's always got to start with, with an ingredient for us. And then from there, um, it's, it's, it's just kind of working out what what goes with what. I think people can get a bit wacky with food um, in, in the name of creativity and just start throwing ingredients and throwing weird stuff and then you might taste it the first time and it's different and different someone's is, is quite a, a, a good shock. It's like, wow, I've never tasted anything like that. doesn't mean it's good. could still be rubbish. Um, just because you haven't tasted anything like that might be for a reason. <laughs> Maybe we should have gone together. So I think like it's for us it's always got to be based in something. So we especially me, everything's got to have a reason on the plate, which kind of is a detriment sometimes, but like it's got to be there because that goes with that classically or that, that flavor works. So I want, you to, I want you to break down how you, how you went about it for that, um, that duck dish that, that you had on, which was kind of the, one of the highlights of your last menu. Mm. Um, and tell us a little bit about it practically, because I think people are interested in that sort of thing. Yes, tell us what that um, was first. Yeah, that's quite good actually. So we, uh, Ducks from Thirlmere, um, sort of Southern Highlands Way. Um, we wanted to use them, really good local, pro- uh, local product. Um, and then we had some Illawarra plum, which we kind of wanted to find the perfect uh, fruit for, for a restaurant in Illawarra. Um, it's native fruit as well. So um, and we wanted to get that on. Um, and then duck glazed in plums, quite a sort of classic Asian dish, and that kind of lent themselves to each other very, very well. So that, that just kind of made sense in my head. Um, and then also we had another grower down in Dapto who had uh, beetroots and radicchio growing at the same time. Um, so they were there. <coughs> Colours worked as well. Everything was there. There's a very purple. Very beautiful thing. purple. Dish. Yeah, yeah. So everything, everything kind of fell in place with that. Um, so there was local stuff. There was native things we wanted to use. Um, Colours were right. And sometimes it's just little things like that where those colours work together. Therefore, that makes sense to me. I can put them on a plate. Um, and then, obviously, the most important thing, and sometimes the last thing you check, is, is actually it tastes good. 
luckily it tasted good. Um, you can spend a lot of time with playing around with a dish that conceptually is, is, is amazing and doesn't taste good. And that's, that's got to be the, uh, the, the defining factor of a dish. Andy, how do you start when, you, when you're thinking about a dish like plate? Uh, it is very similar to what Simon said, but we uh, don't focus quite so locally as Simon does. Um, we're pretty dictated by what my fisho can get for me, what we can get off our butcher. It's a fish supply, fishmonger, fishmonger industry chat. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, for instance, he sent me a text me at 3am sure. because he could get the snapper from Chris Bolton, who um, is a fisherman from North Queensland because he didn't catch enough this morning. Or yesterday morning, sorry. So it's dictated by what, so we had to change that and we'll have to, I'll have to fix that when I get to work um, after this kind of thing. Um, so we'll live creativity. We'll bring we'll 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 It's happening right now. Right? <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that dictates um, what goes in our menu. Uh, Simon has a tasting menu. Um, so it, the difference for us is we have another cart menu. So we have a few more, a few more dishes, I'd say, but um, it is dictated by what meat. A lot of the meat we buy, there is obviously only so much of it um, that comes off animals, and we buy unique cuts that, again, there is only so much of. So, uh, so for instance, one of the cuts we use, there might be 40 kilos a month. So if I use all of that, I have to change the beef that's on our menu. Um, they all require different cooking times, different methods of getting them to where we, we want to get them to. So that for us um, plays a big part. Our vegetables, um, the droughts had a big effect on what um, goes in our menu. As I mentioned before, with the seasons changing, etc. but it's, it's also been a matter of availability. We've got um, a farm that grows for us called Moon Acres Farm in um, Fitzroy Falls in Southern Isles, and another farm called Epicurean Harvest that grows for us there in Hartley, just through the Blue Mountains. But they've been strongly affected by the drought, so that you know, uh, rolls onto us and affects supply coming to us. So that is a massive part of how we put our dishes together. Um, I get a text on Sundays from both farms telling me what they have available. Uh, they pick it for us on Tuesday, it gets delivered to the restaurant on Wednesday. A lot of the time, um, but they will have the same thing for a period of time, so we'll taste it. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we'll use our pantry, I guess, to bring different flavours um, and uh, different point, like points of difference to the dish. We use a lot of Korean and Japanese influence in our cooking at the restaurant. Um, so this all, all comes into what we're going to do with each product and then we try and bring it together. So my question is, you, you, you start off by being inspired by the ingredients that you have available to you. And then they, but you don't just put them on the plate and send, like you don't open a, open a bag of meat and just put it on a plate and send it to the customer. There's a lot Definitely. that happens in between the ingredients yeah. and what goes to the customer. So where is it, like where is it within you that, that you have like these, these little light bulb moments of creativity and inspiration that you're like, shit, like, okay, we've got this available, like, you know, can you can you sort of take us into your head at all when you when you're playing around with a new dish of, and and you know it's it is just the ingredients but it's also what you have available but then there's also something some spark inside that, yeah I, a lot of it I think is experience for me like what have I done with this in the past and the people around you as well like it's not just me um, 
someone might come up with one component of a dish or they might have come up with something six months ago that didn't work with something else um, and we might bring it back to be a part of like okay that's perfect with that sort of marble score nine root blade meat that's incredibly um, rich and fatty and we need some acidity or you know to cut through that with, with it could be a side for the dish um, so it's it's different people different ideas and you, you try and bring it to it's not just this you know moment yeah, of, moment I, of clarity. Sorry, it's, it's it's memory and recall really like it, it's exactly. it's you know, 10 years of cooking for me and how many for you Andy? quite a few uh, yeah nine, 19 20 look at <laughs> so it's all that experience that you, you bring to, to one moment of making a dish um, and just uh, I'm, I'm constantly looking at other restaurants other ingredients and other techniques I might see something and it, it might not come into my head until like a year or two later when I'm doing a dish I need this component it needs some acidity or it needs, needs this or needs some texture and it literally might just come into my head and be like oh you saw that thing once what was that and then you might go and play with it and it, yeah. it works but it's, it's not I always think of it less, it's less of a spark, it's more of just literally having a memory. Yeah, I, I think also, yeah, and, and one thing we haven't yet touched on, but I think is important, and you kind of just mentioned it then, is the inspiration that you get from others in the industry. Because there's a lot of restaurants out there and a lot of chefs, and you guys who are within the industry keep very, very close attention to what's happening in the industry, who's doing what, which chefs are innovating and doing interesting things. And I think when it comes to you, to you guys, um, when in terms of inspiration, for example, if I was an author, or if I published cookbooks, no, it's more, so, more so I'm talking about being a writer, if you write novels. If you, if, if you want to absorb new information from your peers, other authors, you have to read books. Now, it takes, it takes a long time to read a, a book. However, with you guys, you can look online, you can read good food, you can like have a look through Instagram of some of your favourite chefs and restaurants and those sorts of things. And when you see what they're doing, because you're, because you're a chef also, you're, a, you're trained in the same way, you can understand what they've done and you can get that immediate sort of inspiration and knowledge. It's like, oh, okay, so there's something that I haven't seen before, maybe research a technique or research an ingredient that you haven't seen before. So there's a lot of inspiration outside of what you guys do and the ingredients that you have to be taken from the industry, which is massive. Yeah, it was pretty instant now with, with social media and um, you, someone else does a dish and they, they want to show it off to everyone and put the same as soon as you come up with something you, you think thinks new and creative, it's straight on social media because you want to see what other people think, you want other people to, you kind of almost want to put your stamp on it and put it out there before anyone else does it. Is this okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Check. Well, um, am I crazy? <laughs> but I think there's um, like, creativity is basically is not copying other people, um, and then in cooking, big, big difference. Yeah, I mean it, that's hard. It's hard to have a, a kind of unique idea. Um, but then there's obviously certain things that have been done for so long that you, you sort of can use them because they're classic. But then if you see someone who's done something unique and, and clever with, with an ingredient, you know you can't do that for a couple of years until it becomes normalised. You can't just steal it straight away. It's always just really annoying because you're like, oh, it's so obvious. Oh, yeah, why why did I think of that? Yeah. You want to be the guy thinking of it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and that, that's, that's truly hard. There's really only a, a couple of chefs in the world who create things that have never been done before in, in any kind of way. Hmm. Interesting. And I guess there's always, like, I think we've talked about it before on this podcast, but there's always the parameters, like you said, of stuff has to taste good. And there's 
like the reason that there is the term flavor balance is because you know the right amount of sweet, salty, sour, hot, or whatever needs to be balanced in order for a dish to taste good. Like if you just throw a bunch of salty things on a plate because they're interesting new ingredients and they look nice, it's 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 not going to taste good. So you do work within within these sorts of parameters as well. It can be it can be one thing as well. Like last night we made a sauce with uh, smoked young garlic, um, some just some chicken stock and emulsified with butter, but it was just lacking something, and so we put some of our just reduced chicken stock with um, some soy and fermented shiitakes and it just finished it completely like in, in a couple of like like a hundred mil yeah it was bad and then it was perfect yeah but even that that's one of the problems with um with internet and social media is that you can look at something and go oh my god that's amazing but you haven't tasted it yeah. you've looked at it um so it can, be, it can be a bit of envy over something that might yeah might actually not be any good Oh, there's plenty of stuff that looks looks really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Wow. Just pour liquid nitrogen on something and take a photo of it. <laughs> yeah. um, let's get on. I want to get on to So this, this, this is all sort of you applying your trade, but uh, also uh, you have to put it on a plate to make it look pretty, essentially. Um, where do you, how, do you, how are you inspired? And I think this is where sort of trend comes in quite a bit. But how are you inspired with putting things on a plate? The art of plating, as it were. It's a hashtag, isn't it? It is. It's, yeah. a, it's an Instagram account. account. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely trends come into play. Um, you can always, if you look at a, a dish, you can always put it to a decade of how it's been plated, or someone's <laughs> going a bit retro with something. Um, and and they, they change and they, and they go, and people kind of push it. But I mean, that, that's kind of the one thing that really I think is a bit more artistic. Um, and some people just have a really good eye for obviously colours and plating in space and um, can make dishes look very pretty. Uh, other than that, it's kind of just, it's just following general rules, like three three little edible flowers will look better than four for some reason, like little things like or, that. Or it could be five. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah it's all, trial and error. Numbers, numbers. Like, yeah. Little things like that you get taught, which kind of do stay true. Um, and yeah, you kind of follow, sometimes it depends on your food. Like we plate different to our exams, food's different, um, and then the, you know, the flavor's different, the colors different. But I think it, the, ba- the most basic point, which I got taught really early on in my career, was food that's cooked well looks good naturally. Like a, a well cooked, well rested steak just looks good on its own. Mm-hmm. So, so there's half the battle is just making sure everything is actually executed well. Just do it properly. <laughs> how much does how much does the practicality of service coming to the way you plate stuff because you might have to send a hundred of one dish out in the night or whatever it is and you need to make sure that your time you know you can't you can't be sitting there tweezering you know 12 different ingredients onto each plate we'll have some dishes that are quite intricately plated and some that are very simply and it can be yeah if they were all for us because we've got so many dishes like maybe 20 things on the a la carte menu from top to bottom, including sides. If they were all very intricately plated, we, yeah, we'd be right on the shit. Yeah. <laughs> Start playing now. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a massive difference. Um, you, you could do something that's amazingly elaborate and, and beautiful, but if you can't actually execute it during service, or, or if it's not going to look the same during service when you suddenly you're trying to feed 50 people, there's no point in doing it, and you might have to strip it back. Um, 
I think that, that's a big point. Yeah, that, that, that comes that comes from experience in a bit. You, you know, you might play something when you're trialing it and you look at it and you're like, that's never going to work. So, you know, you <laughs> looks great. Not yeah, and, and, and I mean, even little things like if you if you can't, if the produce isn't right, that's going to look as well. So, you've got to even think about like, am I going to get the consistency of, of that certain thing to, to highlight that in a certain way? So, there's a lot of factors that come in. But, but can, definitely. can we portion that beef exactly the same? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, like you know, a piece of meat or a piece of fish, the tail end is different to, to, the, to the top end. So, um, even that, like sometimes we'll have a dish on with a piece of fish, and because I have to cut it differently, depending on which side I'm using, we might plate it slightly differently depending on that cut, um, which, which isn't, isn't ideal, but that, that's the you know, food, it's food, it's reality. Food, yeah, food doesn't always I come in a perfect One square. thing that might be that sort of might cross over from you know, traditional artists, for example, a painter in, 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 into what you guys do. And it comes into, I guess, the art of plating is the idea of restraint. And they do use that a lot in food media these days. I think that perhaps less experienced chefs or whatever might have the proclivity to keep adding stuff when it doesn't, when it might already be finished. And that might come to come, come into the way you present something, but also the concept of a, of a dish in general, it's, it's it's also, and you can just speak on this, is how much is it around finding a point where the dish is just done and you don't need to add any more texture, you don't need to add any more colour, you have to trust that it looks good on the plate and the way you present it, you don't need to cover it in flowers or dust. Um, yeah, it's exactly talking about that. restraint. Like, there can be like the final leaf, I think. But I guess it's different for each person, though. Like you might think something looks really good, and I might think that way too much on that. Yeah, it very much depends on your food. Like if you if you're working at a, a very like we do an eight course tasting menu, so our, our portions are, are small. Um, it's a big meal overall. Don't believe what people say. Um, but each dish is quite small, and, and things small on the plate just tend to look a little bit, a bit more, a little more pretty. If you, if you do, if you're working in a in a bistro and you're doing steak and chips, which is Great meal, nothing taken okay. away. Um, you can't just put three little Latisse chips across the steak, a couple of dots of sauce, want, and a couple want, of leaves. Yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah, you, yeah, you can't, you can't do a deconstructed pie. It's not a pie. It's, it's bits. You can. People have tried. Yeah, they've tried. They've tried. They should be. Probably not. Probably not. Um, we've got to move on to what nourishes you, and uh, hospitality is a very challenging industry. Uh, high stress um, among, like across probably all facets of it what keeps you going what what is the thing what are, what are the things that keep you interested me like that, that make you keep pushing you know yourself in a new in a new direction um, because it can be bloody tough and in a place like Wollongong you're not necessarily always busy um, and I'll talk a little bit about books after you guys have a, have a crack at this one with what nourishes you as, as chefs and what, what keeps you going. So the, the good thing about owning a restaurant is, is you get constant feedback, um, which is good sometimes, <laughs> not always. Uh, so, so people will always tell you what they think about your food, just lovely of them, um, good or bad. So, so you get some feedback, I guess, if you're, if you're a painter or a writer, that takes a while to get, so you might spend a long time doing something and then you get your feedback um, after the kind of fact. So we, we constantly, generally get told our, our food is, is good, people like it, and then that keeps you going and then that, that, that feedback shows you on the right path. Um, 
little things like reviews, guidebooks. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, we're constantly being judged um, favorably. So I guess that can be a bit of a blessing and a curse. It's different to, again, probably traditional artists in the sense that you don't have a as as a well as a publisher um, mostly like and and probably with authors as well. You don't always have direct contact with your clientele. People anonymously buy a book off a bookshelf, go home, put it under the Christmas tree, and you know you never hear anything about it. I don't have. There's no. I've got one Google review for my business, and yeah, it just says great book. book. Yes, yeah. and, and like that's kind book. of the feedback I get. <laughs> other than like when I meet people who who have the books. Um, for you guys, it's completely the other end of the spectrum where you have a where you have a. <laughs> A, a, an outward-facing business front and a system of reviews and feedback that can be both brutal and really cool at the same time. Yeah. Maybe let's stick with the positive side of it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think just the, the acknowledgement, um, I guess, from your peers in the industry. Industry acknowledgement is a big one that, that kind of feeds me, I guess. Uh, your customers, your guests, like having a great experience. They're you know in your restaurant that you built for um, a few hours, and they have a great night. And they tell you about it. That's I think the best acknowledgement that you can get. That's why we're there. Um, and I think your family, and friends, is a pretty important one. Feeding feeding your family. What about the the Wollongong hospitality community? Wollongong hospital like crews great even better now. There's so many young people that have come through and done their own thing. Um, and we all work pretty closely together and support one another. And um, I think that's really important because it can be a pretty challenging and um, sometimes negative industry. Uh, and I think the other thing that's really challenging is sometimes like you can work 80 hours a week um, and you have to stay positive and creative. It's pretty hard to be creative when you're exhausted. But that's that's a big part of it, and that's a big challenge for me, especially. Uh, yeah, that challenges me. Yeah, I think I think when when you spend so much time, like I said, it was eighty hours a week, and you, you put your, your whole life and your whole soul into into what you do, into your dishes, into your restaurant. When when a, a table comes in, has has a really good night, has nothing but nice things to say, leaves you a great review, um, and just leaves looking happy, looking like they just. You've sort of you've added something to their life that, that that's huge. That's, um, that's what, why we do what we do. That's what makes all the all the hard work and the hours worthwhile. Um, and, and that that really is your that, that's what keeps you going. Everything else is kind of a bonus. Yeah, you know, but in industry respect and and reviews things like that. But but you know, feeling like you've made a slight difference to someone's night, even, even in a, a small way, um, by feeding them is, is that's that's why we do it. It's great, and I guess. Um, yeah, well, for for me, uh, it's a similar thing. I think that like you, I, I have a lot of uh, I, I sort of question question my abilities sometimes and question how things work because I, I don't get that feedback. It's 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 challenging because you kind of need positive affirmation um, to keep you going. But when I do get it, I really value it. So I might just bump into someone on the street or meet a new person or something and one of these books is sort of laying around and someone goes, I know that book, I gave it to my mum for Christmas, she loves it. And just little things like that, because it, like these people I might not know, like I kind of live in a world where I just assume that 
the people that I know know that I make these books, but there's also actually like a large public out there that has my has my books <laughs> that I that I don't even think about, don't that's, even that's get key. any feedback from. But yeah, um, any any of that, any any feedback, and, and and the thing that does get me going is that. Fortunately, unlike you guys, I don't actually I don't get any negative feedback. Everyone who gives me feedback says that they 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 love my books, and that's and that's what keeps me going. Because I I don't know the food the publishing world's a weird world, and I and in terms of peers and other others in the industry and stuff, you're always comparing yourself to um, to others, and that and and for me, being an independent publisher, that can be difficult. Um, seeing the new Yotamogatolangi book that's coming out in stacks of a hundred in the biggest bookshops in Australia, or whatever these these sales quantities and and all those sorts of things. But comparing myself to those is um is, is hard. But uh, the feedback's always good, and, and people like it. So. When you you perhaps release a book tomorrow, yeah, we'll really? launch tomorrow. So is, 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 is that more is that gratification or more just relief? Relief is done. Hundred percent relief. So it's actually <laughs> yeah. hard to derive any yeah, joy. Yeah, like the, the all the hard parts are done. Yeah, it's look it's. A book launch is fun, but it's also stressful, and it's it comes at a point when it's just been such a long, challenging build up to getting the publication finished and getting it out there and getting it on shelves that like it's it's at a time when I just really just need a break, and um and and so it's good to be there and and and. Do it. I wish I had more time to relax at a book launch and things like that. But it's usually the sort of week following that I can sort of sit back and reflect and and feel a little proud of myself. Okay, so well. does the so it's completely after the fact when you actually have a bit of nourishment. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. when the first one comes off the print. Well, out. yeah, it's very easy to be very uh, self-critical in mm. in what I do as well because. Um, you, we work with deadlines and things like that. There's always things that you wish you could do. Um, guys, we should move on. Linda, we have got a bit of time. Yeah. Yeah, so we were going to take a few questions from the audience if anyone wants to ask us anything at all about publishing books, food, cooking. Anyone got a question? I've got a microphone. Do you, you got a question, Linda? On the spot. On the spot. Um, you were talking about your influences. I'm wondering if you go back to the classics, like do you go to Escoffier's repertoire? Do you go that far back, or you want um, modern? Depends if you um, like. That's a, it's a classic book. It's a it's a, a tome of, of cooking techniques. So some things, um, if you want the recipe to a to old source, and then yeah, um, and you always go and take everything you kind of taught in college and, and as a sort of young chef is kind of based on that. That um, that basic technique. So you kind of hope you know what. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like like like. I mean, they're probably the, the perfect recipe for like mayonnaise in a scoffier. Like like it goes back to that that far. Like these very basic things you think of. Well, would you say a scoffier is less of a sort of a source of inspiration and more of a, a practical guide, like a user's manual sort the, of? The latter, definitely. Yeah. Interesting. I guess it's it's interesting though how uh, the. The industry is quite trend-driven, and some of these things do come back into fashion. You see it kind of cycle, cycle around. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. 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 Here's a question. Here's Michael. Please introduce yourself. Yeah. G'day, my name's Anne. I'm from Canberra. 
Oh, okay. um, I've got a book for that, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a book for that. And my question is whether you like eating. Uh, do, do you get to eat or do you just graze all the time? <laughs> definitely, definitely get to eat. Great question. How, how do you manage that, that business of working with food all the time and your own consumption? It can, can be hard. I think there's a lot, a lot of chefs actually don't particularly like eating or even like cooking at home. Because it's very, very separate things. Cooking uh, cooking in a restaurant is, is your job, is your trade. It's different to, to cooking a meal at home. Um, so yes, yeah, so a lot of chefs don't particularly like eating or don't like cooking. It's just a job. Um, I think to be to be the, the sort of higher end one myself, definitely. I, I love eating. I love um, going out for food. I, I love cooking at home as well. That's kind of how I became a chef was from a love of cooking at home first of all. Um, so kind of that, that was my first thing was, was yeah enjoying eating and then cooking things so I can eat them. Um, but it, it can be tough um, with the hours we do. I don't, don't get home till gone eleven pm sometimes, and then you've got to try and eat try and get some sleep and then get up and do it over again. Um, so it's definitely a, it definitely can be a challenge and it can take some of the joy out of it as well. Um, when, when you spend the whole time, it's kind of like, I think everyone gets a little bit through cooking for your, your family and you spend the whole time cooking and then when you finally sit down you go, oh, I'm not even hungry anymore. <laughs> and it is kind of a constant, constantly like that and your whole life is like that, I'm not even hungry anymore. But, um, you have to get yourself in a really good routine. Yeah, I think I'm, a lot of a lot of people in the industry, or what I experienced a lot, is that yeah, like you said, Simon, you you eat at very when you're working in, in the industry, you you eat at very strange times. You might have dinner at four thirty in the afternoon, which, at which is and then at eleven thirty again with whatever's kind of left from service. Um, random combinations of things, but you, I personally, when I was working in kitchens, was always. Snacking along the way as well, oh, always, man, always right. eating and tasting things. Cheapier and cheap there. Cheapier and God, I'm never working in a place that serves hot chips again because I just put on weight. Like, oh, it's important for um, like I try and teach our young guys to eat properly because they work so much. Um, so they need to yeah, look after themselves. And I found when I was young, I was like about probably eight. 10 kilos lighter than I am now, if you can imagine it. Um, yeah, so like, I had to learn a bit later to look after myself a bit better, get to the gym, eat properly. It's, it's really important when you work so much. Yeah, I was like, knock on to your days off as well, because we basically eat lunch at about 4 p.m. every day. Um, we, we, we cook um, almost every day in the kitchen, a whole meal for, for all the staff. Um, then if it's, if it's one day off on a Monday, I'm not hungry until 4 p.m. When everyone else is probably in, and everything's closed. Everything's closed for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get lunch at four pm. Like, I have dinner at eleven pm as well. So it doesn't have a kind of knock on. Um, but I think myself and Andy very much enjoy going to other people's restaurants. Yeah, love going out um, and trying to enjoy it, and trying not to judge, and trying to compare. <laughs> so it's the other hard part. You generally get nourished quite well uh, being a part of the food community and going to other people's restaurants as well. You get a little. Crushed is probably the word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah go to go to a someone probably knows restaurant and they might send you a couple of extra plates. It's always good. Any other questions? Any questions? Here we go. Microphone. Uh, I'm Isaac. Uh, been to both the restaurants. It's really good to see the quality of food. Well, I think it's really you. important. Uh, 
publishing side of things, you mentioned that there was 150-odd places that you could have included in your book. Uh, you covered it down from cost reason and all other factors. I think it's a two-part question. Um, how did you decide on who you wanted to have in your book? Did people approach you? Did you go you know, out and out? And then what helped you with that definitive sort of list for the final book? Yeah, so it's um, that's a that's a, a challenging part at the start. Uh, number one, having worked in hospitality for quite a long time, and then having done these books for quite a while as well, I like to think that I have a pretty good judge. I, I am a pretty good judge of the quality of a place when I walk in there and have a meal. So it is like I do do some research by just going to places and eating. Um, one of the things that I've learned since uh, since making the last few books and, and a little technique, I guess, that I've implemented is starting with people in the industry. So Simon and Tom were some of the first people that I approached about the book because the book Caveau and you know that any restaurant with a chef's hat is at the top of the, the game sort of in a, in a region. And so you want to talk to those people about 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 the food the food culture of a region. Because some of these places, like the Southern Highlands, I didn't live in the Southern Highlands, but I need to get an understanding of the food culture and the industry in that region in order to be able to accurately represent it in the publication. So I sat down with Tom and Andy and we talked about some of the different Tom and Andy, Tom and Simon. And uh, and we talked about some of the different places. So definitely getting some information off them was really really important. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of other things that came into it. So we, we you need to have diversity in the dishes that are in a book. Each restaurant has about two dishes in the book or something like that, and we we you can't have two of the same recipe. So you need to think about places that will give you something unique and interesting. Um, the a lot of it, a lot of it comes comes into comes down to also sort of you can you can sort of gauge the the philosophy of people and, and people who are doing things right in terms of supporting sort of sustainable agriculture and things like that. Um, you know, even something as simple as making the quality of coffee is, is a really good judge of the quality of, 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 of a place in general. And so we, we all these sort of things come into, come, into, come into play and then it's a matter of sort of working with people in the industry and constantly sort of I didn't, I didn't have a list at the start and that was the final list. Some people say no, some people don't want to be a part of it. Um, it's, it's something that's constantly evolving as I meet new people, as I go and do photo shoots, as I do interviews with people and start connecting with members of the industry. Yeah, I think there's a couple of people when we sort of first met and you had a, a basic list and a couple of people we um, suggested um, that, yeah. we, that we were friends with or we liked. Um, that we thought deserved to be in a book about the Illawarra um, was sort of added as well. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, we, myself and Tom and Steph kind of um, had a chat about what, who we thought should be in and Steph sort of took that and, and made his decisions. And just uh, as a bit of inside info, I guess that, that part of the process is one can be one of the most nerve-wracking and stressful things. And to get the support of uh, Simon and Tom straight away makes it a huge help because people when I when I come to when I come to do a book in a new region, people don't know who I am. I can show them my previous publications, but I can go to a restaurant like Biota or Echelon or a, or a really nice restaurant in the Southern Highlands and they don't know me. But 
they ha I have to try to get it across the line for them to entrust me to not only represent their restaurant and their food well and accurately in a publication, but also represent the quality of food culture in that region well as well. So they're putting a bunch of trust in me. It's a big, it's a big ask for, from just a random person walking in off the street with a book saying, hey, I want to do one of these. And you were lucky it was that within the first six months we'd been owning a business. We're exactly, still, yeah. We were still keen for everyone. Then we're like, oh, book, let's do it, yeah. What was the second part of the question again, sorry? I can sort of just how you narrow it down. Oh, and if, if you approached people or if people heard that you were making a book and yeah. really wanted to be a part of it, sort of. Sometimes, sometimes people approach me. Generally, after I've made a publication, when people come to me and say, I want to be in number two. And uh, it's at that point that I have to be ruthlessly dictatorial in the sense that everyone wants to be a part of a publication, but um, not everyone can be in one for reasons that I kind of explained before but at the same time it's like everyone everyone thinks that everyone thinks they're great like everyone thinks what they do is, is great no one's no one's opening a cafe or, or, or a restaurant or whatever thinking that uh, we'll, we'll make a substandard product and, and try to find a market for it so um, yeah you know it's, it, it is hard but uh, I don't know, we tend to try we tend to get it right I guess one of the other hard things is like having having places that are gonna be around for the life lifespan of, of a book as well that, that, that sort of had some longevity in the industry we can't have a book that you, you feature a restaurant and, and a month later it closes because then it, then it degrades the quality of the publication Has anyone closed from the well uh, the postman's in the rule have recently changed the power right. so they're, they're the postman's in the book but they've changed their name and, and sort of what they do yeah. any more questions well kind of out of time anyway out of time let me, let me do the last thing Linda sorry okay, okay. no you're fine the Illawarra Cookbook is about Wollongong. Um, it's available at the bookshop. Sorry, I've got to plug. Yeah, plug away. This is the new book that's uh, that's launching tomorrow. It's about a restaurant in Barrel called Bistro of Ficina. Um, it's a restaurant that's only pipe powered by fire, so there's no gas or electricity in the kitchen. It's just wood ovens, wood grills, and that sort of thing. And it's about the chef Nicola Cochia, his story of cooking in Europe, coming to Australia, moving to the Southern Highlands, and opening a restaurant. And there's some really cool recipes in that one. Um, and they're available over there as well. And if you want any more information about what we do, quicksandfood.com is the website. Um, quickly plug your stuff, guys. Kavon.com on the website. Kavon underscore restaurant on Instagram and similar on Facebook. At Babyface Kitchen at two underscore smoking barrels on Instagram. And uh, our website's Birdsbury Hospitality. Okay, cool. And if you want to listen to any other episodes <laughs> of the Gong Show podcast, you can. Uh, search it on iTunes and wherever you get podcasts down, uh, search Quicksand Food or whatever. Uh, we also have it on all our social media and we've done plenty of uh, episodes previously. We're actually doing an interesting one on Tuesday about uh, mental health and uh, and the hospitality industry is a high pressure, high stress thing. So there's good ones coming up and stuff as well. So tell your friends and then also if uh, anyone couldn't make it today that you know that would like to have heard this conversation they, go, they can go back and listen to it as well and thank you so much everyone for joining us That's thank you long -term podcast.
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 